This episode of Grunt Work brought to you by Big Mike's Tavern, where at least two people know your name, and everybody else doesn't talk or interact with each other in any way. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. It's the worst ever. <laughs> we could not have been further off of the note we were going for. Welcome everybody to Grunt Work, the uh, podcast where we are watching Home Improvement chronologically, uh, which would be weird if we weren't. If we just spun, <laughs> if we spun the Wheel of Fortune to decide which episode we watched. Although week. you know what, after we're done watching this entire series, I'm not opposed to that idea. Just kind of going, uh, going on a roulette version of uh, of the same show. Like yeah. now we've watched them all. Like the rest of our life, we'll be watching Home Improvement in <laughs> Why one not? form or another. You know what? It's invaded so much of my life already. I'm your host, Landon Solano, joined always by my co-host Truman Caps. Uh, again, not implying that you are the co-host to me. Um, but we, you know what? When you do the intro, you're the host and I'm the co-host. Uh, so this all balances out, right? Yeah, you know, this is the way I think it. I host 50% of the show. You host 50% of the show. It's never the same 50%, but yes. neither one of us can host 100% of the show. That's very true. Yet. <laughs> Are you trying to phase me out? Maybe. <laughs> They, well, it, it's called the podcasting business, not the podcasting friendship building endeavor. <laughs> well, uh, I had a question for you. Okay. Uh, th that actually comes from another podcast. Okay. I just wanted to toss it out there. Uh, so this is, I, I listen to My Brother, My Brother, and Me. It's mm -hmm. the McElroy Brothers uh, advice podcast where yes. they, they tackle many of the uh, uh, most pressing questions of our day. And one of the, the questions that they received that I don't think they really, I don't remember which episode I heard this in. It was a while back, but I don't think they gave this question the true discussion that it needs. And the question was, do you believe that the grunt sound from Home Improvement is art? Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to say I can see both arguments for yes and no. Yes. But I'm going to say yes. Yes. Because... It's not simply a punchline, and it's not simply a gimmick that's that's used. Even at this point in the show, it is like shoehorned a little bit, but yes, it, it's it's evolving and it's becoming something of it's defining its own characteristics. I feel like yes, you know, as we uh, found, yeah, yeah, and it's it's I'm, I'm struggling to find some sort of comparative tissue here, um, but. If it was simply used in the same capacity, like Bazinga, yeah. you know, every single time, then I would say, no, absolutely not. That's just gimmickry. That's just, you know, yeah. merchandising stuff. But this is like, it's a persona. Yes. I, what, how do you feel? I know. I agree. I think we're unanimous. And also, I, guess, I suppose we're pretty... It's not like on the show grunt work we'd say, no, grunting isn't art. It's just bullshit. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say it's high art. No, certainly <laughs> not. I yeah. would say it's – if defining the line in the sand, is it art or not art, I would lean toward art in the way that a good fart joke could be art. Yes, yes. I, it, it even rhymes with the word art, which makes it a better joke. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I would agree simply because – uh, comedy, I believe, is art, and the grunt is integral to Tim Allen's comedy, which got him yes. this show. And even as we see in this episode, uh, and as we've seen in many episodes, uh, the grunt really is an embodiment of Tim, mm -hmm. both Tim the actor and Tim the character. He grunts, there's a grunt for all seasons. Yeah. 
uh, which we've talked about you you know by the end of this entire show uh developing some sort of rosetta stone so that you can decipher the meaning of these grunts or a rosetta moan if you will <laughs> oh god not, not the same as a grunt but the, you 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 go to war with the puns that you've got <laughs> um but even like as we're nearing the end of season one, oh, um, closing in on it, we are. Uh, we've only got four more episodes after this. Oh my gosh! Uh, of the first season, guys, yeah, don't yeah. panic. No, no, no. Uh, time is moving really fast, but um, that, that actually ties into this episode of the generational blah 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 blah, which we'll get into. But um, going back to this point, which is what I've forgotten, and I'm just going to keep talking till it comes back to my mind. What are we talking about? What is, if I what if I talk about something instead, and you think about it? Okay. So the grunt count for this episode, <laughs> I'm just going to cover this. You yeah, yeah. On it. yeah, okay. The grunt, well, because this ties into the grunts as well. Yeah. Grunt count for this episode is 18. Brings our series oh, grunt okay. count up to 307. Wow, we, we made, broke the 300 mark. Yeah, you know, and we made a bold prediction last week mm-hmm. that we were going to hit 350 by the end of the season. And man, I feel a lot better about it now. I yeah. think we can get 43 grunts in in four episodes. Well, don't curse us. I'm not. Don't give us the tool man curse. No, certainly not. Just the, <laughs> only the tool man salute. I think that. Uh, I, I think it's possible, though. I think we're within reach. Because I would agree with you, yeah. this episode and the one before it, both of them, Tim has gotten an obscene number of grunts out in mm-hmm. the first scene of it. Like, like this episode and the last one, I was yeah. caught off guard multiple times by how much grunting he does in the first five we, minutes. We had to pause and rewind. Uh, because in the past, we've said you can kind of hear in his voice when he's going to mm-hmm. start grunting. And now Tim has gotten better at it. Now they're like yeah. stealth grunts where you don't even realize <laughs> it's happening. And grunt is... <laughs> It's like a silent but deadly grunt. It's like Grunt Team 6. You don't know it's there until it's in your face grunting at you. Right. Well, I I do notice in this episode especially, there are other people grunting with him, which makes it harder to discern a Tim grunt versus someone else's grunt uh, in terms of the number of them. It was... Yeah, that that made that was why we had to keep rewinding because yeah. he had a couple of grunt buddies. <laughs> grunt buddies oh. was the alternate title for this podcast and we wisely <laughs> chose this one. Um... Yeah. Did you remember your grunt oriented thing? I was I was on a train that was just it was destined to derail. You were on a grunt train. <laughs> grunt away train. Uh, that's my favorite soul asylum song. Um It's my favorite movie with John Voigt. Before <laughs> Before we get into the, the crux of this episode, uh I wanna I wanna dredge up something. Episodes ago. Yes. The gauntlet was laid down. Yes. Which was if I found the sheet music to the theme song, you agreed that you would play it on trumpet on air for us. You son of a bitch. Yes, I don't have my trumpet with me now. No, 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 no. But can we can we get you to, if I can get you the, the sheet music right now to play us uh, at least a few bars of the theme song in the series one finale of this. Uh, oh, certainly that. Yeah, that I can do that. I'm a hundred percent. He's got, you've got like a month to practice. Well, where, where, where we're going to record that will be a thing. Cause I don't know what your neighbors are going to think of that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Get I me. mean, we can pre-record it. We'll give you whatever, whatever uh, scenario circumstances I, I want, you need. I want to be at the uh, LA concert hall, <laughs> uh, the, the Frank Gehry building. I, and I want okay. the entire LA Philharmonic backing me up. I want Tim Allen there. And I uh-huh. want afterwards Patricia Richardson to hug me and tell me that I did a good job and that she loves me more than all the other Home Improvement fans, especially Landon. While Al is just standing in the background giving you the salute. He, just saluting constantly, one after another. <laughs> pew, pew, just pew. Just like the uh, uh, 
the cannons going off at the at a military funeral. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, like the twenty one gun salute, or like yeah. the eighteen twelve overture. It's like salute. I'm really impressed that you dissected the two thoughts that I had combined into one there, because you don't shoot off cannons at a military funeral, but you do do the twenty one gun salute. But I was thinking classical music. Um, yeah, you, you got me. Well, this is why we're podcast partners. You know, I spent I spent twelve years in band. I had to come away from it with something. And if it <laughs> can be used to help you, then then God bless. Uh, yeah, I would happily end out the series with me playing the home improvement theme on the trumpet. That's <laughs> such a that, uh, saying that out loud. It's like, oh man, we're looking. People are looking forward to this. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, and I don't care what anyone else thinks. Hey, you know what? It's our podcast. If you're not looking forward to it, uh, please keep <laughs> listening anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, so let's actually talk about this episode, which is called Birds of a Feather Flock to Taylor. Wow, that's, that, even by me standards, that's a, that's not even a pun. Welcome to Grown Twerk. Yeah, (laughs) How many times, we should, okay, that's, uh, this is the thing that the Grunt Work Work podcast would do, is go through and count how many times we introduce our podcast as another type of podcast. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's pretty frequent. That, still, but that is a bad, that is a bad title for an episode that is not a good episode. It, it was, oh man, it, and it broke my heart that it wasn't a great episode because we have two guest stars. Oh my god, these which guest stars. We'll, we're gonna, well yeah, we've been getting a lot of guest stars in, in a lot of episodes the, here, but this, the two, the, the duo that appears on this episode are near and dear to my heart, but We'll get to them in a moment. Yeah. Uh, give us the synopsis. So in this episode, uh, we open with Tim and Mark building a cherried out birdhouse. Uh, they are he's putting a jacuzzi in it and a recliner and all these things for the birds to uh, enjoy. Take a good look at the birdhouse. This is really the last time it's going to come into play in this uh, avian-centric titled episode of Home Improvement. Presently, Jill comes home. Mentions to Tim that the two of them are going to an opera fundraiser uh, that on Saturday. Tim is outraged. Tim did not know about this. They go back and forth fighting a whole bunch about how Jill never told him this. Jill always only says important things right as she's walking out of the room. Tim does not want to... Well, as we know, Tim is no patron of the arts. He's no fan of the <laughs> opera. Yeah, the fact that he doesn't scream at the very mention of it is is a step in the right direction. Uh, so Tim and Jill fight about this, and not necessarily their playful, happy fighting. They're more barbed, a little bit angry fighting. Uh, we go to Home Improvement. No, well, we already have gone to Home Improvement. That's the show. We go to Tool Time, where, uh... Get there. Yeah. (laughs) Where Tim and Al are talking about how to fix up an engine. Tim makes a bunch of misogynistic comments about women because he is angry about, uh, having to go to the opera. And at one of these comments, uh, two... Very old men, well, two old men, two eccentric-looking old men in the front row of the audience begin shouting in his favor, and Tim does what any TV host would do and invites the disruptive audience members to come and be special guests on the show, foregoing the the whole lesson about degreasing the engine. So, has these two guys, Hick and Eddie, come down, and they start talking to him about just how they used to be auto workers. They talk about this pub they used to go to, Big Mike's Tavern, where they where they serve a sandwich called the Stinky that has Limburger cheese and onions and everything on it. That Hick created. Oh, the Hick. Oh, Hick created the sandwich. Hick also has his pants hiked up to about his armpits, at grandpa level. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're about as high as 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 you know as mandated for that age. Uh, so they talk about Big Mike's. Tim wants to go to Big Mike's, but he has to go to the opera. 
uh, he goes to he drops by Big Mike's the on the afternoon before going to the opera and is complaining to them. Uh, Hick and and Eddie talk a bunch about uh, their wives and how great women are, and they kind of reminisce. And together they help Tim realize that actually Jill dropped a whole bunch of hints about this thing, and uh, Tim should have picked up on that. Jill, meanwhile, at home, talks to Wilson, and with Wilson's help, realizes that she should have been more upfront telling Tim that they had to go to the opera thing that night. Tim and Jill apologize to each other. Well, Tim apologizes to Jill, and then Jill realizes she doesn't have to apologize to Tim. And then, that night, they decide to split the difference, so they put on their fancy clothes, go to the opera fundraiser for half the time, and then go to a stinky, skeevy, smoky dive bar to hang out with a couple of old former auto workers who Jill has never met before in their life. They are the same auto. I mean, they're they're going to Mike. They're not going to a different tavern to hang out with different old people. They go back to Mike's. (laughs) <laughs> and and Tim or and and they try to make a stinky for Tim and Tim says no just get a basket of fried shrimp and a salad because what does a woman want more after going to the opera than a salad at a bar? I was thinking more who orders the shrimp at a tavern at a bar in Michigan? Yeah, in Michigan. Yeah, I do that in California maybe at a beach bar, but <laughs> yeah, not right. not there. And then yeah, and then there and then uh, Hick dances with Jill, and Tim has a heartfelt conversation with uh, Eddie mm-hmm. about loving your wife and porcelain cat figurines. And then over the credits, we uh, see some shots of birds near the birdhouse, uh, narrated by Patricia Richardson and Tim Taylor, uh, who laugh half the time. <laughs> That's the episode. That was kind of, honestly, that synopsis was longer and meatier, I think, than this episode was. Yeah, um, I want to start this episode with the biggest ellipses in the world, because I just don't know where to begin with how much I don't have to talk about. It's... I know that's how you should start every single podcast episode, like... Uh, you know what? I have so little to say <laughs> about the content in which we're supposed to be talking about. Folks, we got a crappy show for you tonight. <laughs> uh, but, okay, I guess a good intro point would be the two guest stars we have. The two old men, played by legends in Hollywood. We have our first Oscar winner appearing on Home Improvement here. And hopefully not our last. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, and one of my personal favorites, Jackie Lam, who not only is in one of my favorite films of all time, but I think one of the best sequences in cinema history, which is the opening of Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, he plays, he he's this like legendary character actor from the Westerns, you know, and he has the lazy eye that's kind he, of been, he was in Cannonball Run. That's where I recognized him. Oh yeah, from. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's but yeah, he played the 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 doctor that <laughs> the drunk doctor that yeah. was in the back of uh, Burt Reynolds' car with Dom DeLuise and yeah, yeah, and and every one of his every joke about his character in the movie Cannonball Run is just someone opening the door and seeing him with his crazy lazy eye <laughs> yeah. and and having a reaction to it. That's his whole yeah. Bit. That kind of became his career. Um, having a lazy eye became his career. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, even in this episode, Tim makes a joke. <laughs> you know, they're talking about being auto workers. Ernest Borgnine did the the um, the bumper, the back bumpers of the car, the back of the car, and uh, uh, Jack Alum did the uh, adjusting the headlights. Yeah, um, and you know you get this close up of like it's, every, it's a visual joke. You can't really explain it on a podcast. Tim Tim having talked to these guys before signing off, he gets down next to Ernest Borgnine and says, "Every time you see a Corvette, mm. think about 
Think about it. this is the face of the guy who put the bumper on it, and then he gets by Jackie Alam yeah. and says, and this is the guy who aligned the headlights, and then it's just hardcore yeah. one of them. And Jack has like perfected his mug to the camera at that point to like yeah. best emphasize the, the yeah. laziness of his at, eyes. At that point in your career as the character actor with the lazy eye, you yeah. know how to get the most out of it. But I still I still have so much reverence for him. Uh, he is also in another one of my favorite movies, which is uh, Kiss Me Deadly, which is a fantastic film noir that kind of informed uh, – Pulp Fiction. Oh, had this uh, like glowing suitcase sort of deal. Uh, highly recommend going to check it out. He plays one of the heavies in it, like this goon that's after the the main character. Uh, doesn't really no, matter. No. That's, <laughs> we're not talking about the Kiss Me Deadly podcast, but well, and er, well, Ernest Borgnine also. It's worth mentioning. Yes, he did win the Academy Award yeah. for Marty, but uh, in my heart, he will always be known as the kindly old grandpa in Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders, <laughs> the movie on season eight of Mystery <laughs> Science Theater three thousand. In which he tells a rambling story about an evil monkey that kills people with its wind-up symbols uh, to a young child who is somehow not traumatized by it. Great episode. Highly recommend. Probably watch Marty yeah. first, but then watch that. Get the yin and the yang of yeah. Ernest Borgnine's well, career. He has a he's a such a strange actor. He's had such a weird career. Yeah, I feel like going from like Mister Wild Bunch, Mister uh, Dirty Dozen. Um, he was in from. Um, uh, the Poseidon Adventure. Was the one I'm thinking of is the Jack Carp- uh, John Carpenter Escape from New York. Yes, um, he was in McHale's Navy, the TV show, and uh, you know a, a slight appearance in the the movie. But um, I don't think he's a good. I can't tell if he's a good actor or not. There's something. There's something so grandpa about him that makes him lovable. But yeah, I don't think he's like is he is he good? I I don't know. He well, I don't want to like tarnish his legacy by. Uh, Okay, well, <laughs> this, the, oh, we have the power. Grunt work has the power to, to completely unravel an Academy <laughs> Award winning actor's legacy. Yeah. It's like in the history books, it's like Ernest Borgnine was so fondly remembered until those jackasses Truman and Landon <laughs> slandered him on their podcast. I mean, I'm not going to slander him. He's fine. He has some good stuff. I love Marty. Yeah. I, I Listen, I, and here's here's my real confession. I haven't seen Marty, uh, I, and I haven't seen, okay, I have seen The Dirty Dozen, but it was years ago. I have seen Merlin Shop of Mystical Wonders 80 or 90 times. And I don't think that his performance in that is necessarily great, but at the same time, I, I think that he... Well, he is he literally plays a grandpa in that show, and he crushes it. He does grandpa very well. And also, I kind of just respected him for, for signing on for such a crappy, low-budget indie movie as Merlin Shop of Mystical Wonders. We're not doing... We're not... Even if we're not slandering his character, the fact that we're mostly talking about the terrible movie Ernest Borgnine was in. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think he would be the first to admit that, you know, it was a profession and he would go where the money is. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, he has such a, a varied career. He ended his career doing a long character on SpongeBob SquarePants. So, like, he's gone all over the map. You know, actually, I, yeah, let's reverse course. We give the grunt work toolman salute to you, Ernest Borgnine, for and Jackalum, and Jackalum. But well, yes, to both of you, but particularly Ernest Borgnine, simply for having been everywhere. You won an Academy Award for mm-hmm. Best Actor. You were a voice on a crazy uh, fever dream of a children's TV show. <laughs> you were in a movie so bad it was featured on a TV show dedicated to mocking bad movies. You were in the Dirty Dust. He has been. All over Hollywood. Seriously, he yeah. did everything. Is he mm-hmm. still alive? No, he passed away, unfortunately. Well, that's that's a shame. But you know what? He lived a good life. He's a good man. And I'm going to say it, a great actor. Probably our best. Suck it, McConaughey. <laughs> I'm going to say I thoroughly respect him. I'm still questioning how good of an actor he is. You know, it's just a shame you couldn't show more respect to a Hollywood legend. So, 
so what else? What else has has got you? Th- what else are you thinking about in this episode? There isn't a lot to think about. But... <laughs> there isn't. Um, but yeah, so these are the two guys. I guess we'll we'll. I don't have much to say about the birdhouse stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the... Tim's building it. Uh, he kind of foo foos away. Um, Jill's uh, comment about bringing some drapes down. Um, yeah. Yeah, from her from her dollhouse, from the daughter she never had. Yeah, um, it, it, they they are building. He and Mark are building the birdhouse at the mm-hmm. start. There is a quick joke where Brad and Randy try to convince Mark that to feed birds he has to eat worms, mash them up, and and <laughs> spit them into a bird's mouth. Yep. And then at the end of the episode, the birdhouse is up. That's really that's, it. yeah. That's the thrust of the birdhouse. And that's enough to to define the title for the episode. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Um, so let's just go into tool time where we get another moment of – so, okay, we saw Mr. Binford uh, twice now. Yes. Right? One after another, back to back. Yeah. And I don't get the sense that he's on set very often. No. He just right? drops in. I mean he's got a well, whole company to run. So, okay. So it's Binford Tools presents tool time, um, which tells me that he's just kind of like sponsoring the show. Yes. Yeah. He shouldn't have any real creative – input into the show because it's just a device in which to sell Binford products. Well, yeah, and by by that same, I mean, in a perfect world, Hollywood executives would have no creative say on what movies get made, but, uh, you know, they would just, they would just put the money together. I mean, yeah, maybe he, he shouldn't have a role, but because he's writing the checks, when he has an opinion, everyone has to listen. It would make sense that uh, Mr. Binford hires a producer strictly to do the things that he's mandated, thus... Not picking the the most uh, adept producer to do the show, which would explain why so many of these producing one hundred and one mishaps go awry. Where it's like you, as you said, bringing the hecklers into the show. Yeah, I've noticed in multiple episodes now there, there are shots of a guy standing over by the monitor wearing mm-hmm. a blazer with a woman. She was yeah. in a purple dress in this. Yeah, one. yeah. So there, and it seems to be the same two people every time. So mm-hmm. I'm putting the I don't know what this guy's name is. Feels like a Jerry. A Jerry? That's I'm, yeah. I can I, I can go I'm with that. Blaming, I'm blaming Jerry for this. Jerry just stands there, and the the only time I see him is when he's just standing idly by with a dumb grin on his face, yeah. watching as Tim goes out and pulls people from the audience and distracts from what his show is supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, it's, it, what one thought that kind of occurred to me is like, I wonder if there's if Tim Allen or any stand-up comedian has ever pulled a heckler on stage with them. I wonder what that would, uh, what kind of environment that would create. I feel like Tim Allen would not, especially now, if Tim Allen was doing stand-up now and someone tried to heckle him, that would, I could see it getting dark quickly, because Tim Allen seems to have a lot of frustrations. Uh, <laughs> well, rightly so. I mean, yeah. I don't want to rail on Tim Allen. No, 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 I mean, no certainly, he's, certainly not. Yeah. He's, he's, he's gotten the short end of a stick. I feel like a successful TV show gets canceled. Yeah. Despite what you might feel about the show. No, no, certainly. It doesn't th- make sense. Yeah, to have, a, to have your show canceled at the height of its popularity. You're, you're angry, but... I just feel like he like it's one thing if someone is heckling Jim Gaffigan, I could see Jim Gaffigan taking that differently than a Tim Taylor sure, or, yeah. or a Tim Allen would even. Yeah. Uh, so, well, well, speaking of rowdiness and heckling mm-hmm. on this episode of Tool Time, so so Eddie and Hick come yeah. down and are talking, and they say hi to Tim, and then they go, "Oh, we love Al," and they run over to Al and are, are fussing it's... over Al. They want Al to do a, a Toolman salute yeah. for them. And and Tim turns to the camera and says, "Is patented. We all love Al." And then the whole audience yeah. starts chanting, "Al, Al, 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 Al!" Like some like it's like Jerry Springer basically. Yeah. And and 
and Tim just goes to the audience and just get, he grunts at them a bunch of times. I think to he get them to shut yells up. at them. He's like, yeah. he gives his patented uh, trademark line, yeah. "Al is my assistant. He assists me." And like he's right in the front row uh, audience member's face when he's saying it. Yeah, and this beanstalk guy in a green parka just laughs, <laughs> right back at him. Everyone laughs, yeah. and he turns around and does this weird little shiver and yeah, walks like back. shakes it off. Yeah, he's like, oh, I gotta get rid of this anger. Uh, yeah, but what what were your thoughts on that? That was kind of a, an interesting like this this uh, tension inside Tim, his yeah. wounded ego, is now on display for the cameras. It, it is. What was weirdest to me about it was just that that I want I want the episode where this actually gets addressed, like where where and this seemed like the place to do it. Tim is on his show. And then the whole audience is going nuts for Al, and the, the hecklers he's pulled out of the audience are going nuts for Al. And I was kind of thinking, oh, this episode is going to be about the Tim and Al showdown. Mm-hmm. Tim once and for all asserting that he is the host and Al assists him. But no, it was just kind of, it felt like, a, I felt like, to, to borrow another quote from Mystery Science Theater, this felt like uh, about eight minutes of sitcom episode and 14 minutes of packing peanuts. <laughs> yes. It was just a lot of extended bits. The pacing of this episode was very bizarre. It, to we, I, when I take notes, yeah. I write first scene, second scene, third scene. We, sometimes we get up to like nine scenes, which is, I feel like, a lot for a sitcom. Yeah. Um, this one, five scenes. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, seven scenes, which I guess isn't... Uh, practically a stage play. <laughs> But they're, they're very long scenes. Yeah. Tim Tim and Jill have two fights mm-hmm. about the same subject that are basically the same fight twice. Uh, to me, it just felt like they were um, giving Jack and Ernest as much screen time as possible. They're like, yeah. we got some heavyweights. Let's let them do what they're best at. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely was. I don't know. I remember. It. Let's really go down the the sitcom uh, rabbit hole here. I used to watch Bonnie Hunt's TV show Life with Bonnie mm-hmm. with my parents. They were a fan of her from Second City. Yeah. I love Bonnie Hunt. Yeah, she's great. She's very funny. I wish that her TV career had could take off better. <laughs> but the whole gist of, of that show was that uh, every show would have kind of an improv segment in the middle of it. It would be yeah, scripted right. and there would be the improv bit. And on the episodes where they would have a big star, on the episodes where Tom Hanks was on or something mm-hmm. like that, the, the script of the rest of the episode would be so much weaker because they were just trying to carve out... Because the writers didn't know, like, well, maybe maybe we're going to have ten minutes of great Tom Hanks improv material that right. we want to use all of, so then we need to cut down the rest of the episode as much as that. Yeah. This one, they had a script they were working with, so I don't know what the excuse was. But. <laughs> they had... Uh... They had uh, George Bernard Shaw writing the uh, <laughs> all the the scenes with uh, Jack Lom and, and Ernest Borgnine just to give it some gravitas and yeah. that human drama. Yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald was <laughs> uh, was you know getting drunk, writing pages, sending them over in a privately chauffeured <laughs> car. Uh, we, well, so long as we're talking about highbrow, classy uh, mm-hmm. moments, I think we should talk about what I think. I think there were two contenders in this episode for. The worst transition of all time. Oh my god. Before we get into it, I have a question about the transition. Ask me a question about transitions. Do, did you get a sense in this episode, or in any of the episodes, where you can start to predict what the transition will be? S- yes, sort of. Well, like, if if there was a moment, say, like, you, you watch the scene to its completion right before the transition starts, but you paused it, could you then guess what the transition would be? I want to say yes, but I... I, I don't think I'm quite there yet. Like, just, mm-hmm. Do you think you will be? I think I will be. Yeah. The, just, I, I, say, I say that I'm not 
in the previous episode, I would have said yes, but the the transitions we're getting are so out of left field and just so so almost lowbrow or or or, or not lowbrow. Are term. you thinking of the the one where it turns into milk and goes into the glass? That was that's exactly it. I could never in my life have predicted that. Yeah. No, but the the one that I want to so no. I don't think I could predict it. I think that would be a really fun game if we pause the episode yeah. so, and try and guess the transition out of the scene. Like, will there be a transition? If so, what transition will it be? We yeah. put money on it. Well, what about you? Could you predict I, what was happening? Well, I don't. I can't say with all confidence that um, I, I can predict, but I did get a sense in this one where I'm like, oh, I have a feeling that the transition is going to be this. You know, that kind of like yeah. where your brain slows down time to have a longer thought <laughs> than actually you have time to think, you know? Yeah, it's that like the Matrix. Yeah, exactly. This whole show's like The Matrix. We've, we've talked about it a number of times. Um, but there's this, this like this gut instinct where I'm like, oh, I know what this is going to be. And then like before my brain can articulate what it is, the image that's going to appear on the screen, it's already there. But like I'm already on the path to like getting to it. I, what you're you're further you're more advanced. The, the, you having watched every episode of this beforehand is benefiting you in ways that it hasn't <laughs> for me because. Dude, they Tim and Jill have have their second fight, yeah, or or their first fight. I don't know. They have one of their fights that are identical fights, and and the whole fight is about oh, we're going to the opera. Tim doesn't want to go to the opera. Well, the fight specifically is I told you about the opera. Yes, I told you about Saturday night. You didn't tell me about Saturday night. You, I did. You didn't. You don't listen. I do listen. Yeah. You don't say, you know, and then Tim goes into this whole thing about when you say something important, you start it as you're walking out of the room and then I can't hear you. And so I check out. Yeah. Um, and 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 they they go through all this, this battle that rages throughout the house. Mm-hmm. And then Jill storms off upstairs and and you jump in if I'm not describing this transition right, because it's one of those ones. But we kind of zoom backwards out of like the screen fades to black and we zoom backwards revealing the figurine of like an an opera diva with uh, wearing a hat with like horns on it and the yellow curls oh, but yeah. it's just like a but it's just like a not like a again it's like the fi- the figure on like a, a bathroom like, door like what's opera doc the, the the classic looney tunes thing where elmer fudd is in the the opera yeah. Uniform. Yeah, it's it's like the outline of just the the crude, mm-hmm. simplistic outline of a woman wearing the wearing the the hat and and holding the, the trident or whatever, right. and just going, Ooh! and then we cut to the next nice scene. Pipes. I know. Yeah, it's it, it's really good. almost as good as us singing the Cheers theme earlier. <laughs> it, it but it would it was such a bad transition because it wasn't even it didn't even take us from one scene to the next. It was kind of they're talking about opera. Here's a shot of of some a graphic representation of what an opera singer is, right. and yeah, there was not much cleverness to it at all in no. this one. It was very on the nose and uh, felt unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that not that I've ever. It's not like I've ever been watching an episode of Frasier and we go to the next scene and I'm like, oh man, they just did a interstitial title card. I really wanted to see. <laughs> I wanted to see a cool transition. That that episode needed a transition. Like, no show has ever needed a goofy transition. So, okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna touch back on a, a question you asked me. Um, I don't know, four or five episodes ago, where you said, "I'm starting to get tired of these transitions." Or do you think you'll you'll get tired of these? Or what what do you think the future of these transitions are? I'm hearing from you that you are really getting tired of these real quick. I feel, look, I still like the show, and you were here in the room, you heard me laughing, even at this episode that mm-hmm. I didn't think was good. The transitions, I feel like they're pandering to me. The transitions mm. 
more so than the fashion, more than so than the fact that in this episode Jill wears a tuxedo to the opera, mm-hmm. more, more than any of these '90s dated things. Wait, what does the tuxedo have to do with anything? Do, do, do women was that like a thing in the '90s? Women wearing a tux? Wearing, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you got the whole like Madonna Vogue era. Yeah, where um, yeah, I, I would say that's a, yeah, that's a, a fashion statement. Thing. Yeah, yeah, so I, I just call I call that as as. That's not a thing I think you'd see as much in TV now, okay. unless it was an episode about being gender fluid or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, but what the 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 transitions are just the corniest part of the show to me because yeah. it's so often on the nose and it's so often not. It's not. It's kind of, okay. It's like the scary movie franchise. Mm. The movies in the scary movie franchise, there aren't jokes in them mm-hmm. at, at this point. You know, it, it's just like. Oh look, we're we're you were in this location from this right. horror movie, or oh, I'm wearing this thing, this iconic thing, this character, real in this on movie. The nose. Right? Yeah. It's it's not jokes. And then you add a fart noise into it, and yeah. you got a whole movie. Yeah, it's like it's acknowledging but, the thing exists. Is it like the scary movie franchise? The first one or two was kind of novel because we hadn't seen a movie like that since Absolutely. like the Naked Gun era. Yeah. So there was something kind of interesting about it. Yeah. And then it just really quickly. Became a genre that no one respected. Yeah, the the, the snake the snake iris transition in Wild Kingdom. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I did the thing where you kiss your fingertips and, and, and pull them apart like a like a French gourmet. Uh, that was cool, but now mm-hmm. it, it, it's just reached the point of parody so quickly. I mean, we okay. Let's just recap some of the transitions we've seen. We had a slip and slide rolling onto the screen. That was and the a worst woman, one in my opinion. Cra- that was pretty bad yeah. too. That's wife. Uh, the slip and slide. On yeah. The, yeah, uh, and that that one I think that was my least favorite until the opera until transition. Birthday. I don't know the candle and the teardrop. Uh, teardrop are bad. The teardrop one is pretty high up there for me. Uh, Ink's wife, the pink pink slip and slide is the absolute worst. I, the the opera one didn't register with me. Um, the bubblegum one from last episode kind of did. Yeah, a little bit. Um, there was one that I kind of enjoyed in yeah. this episode to to you know kind of bring this back yeah, yeah, yeah. to a Take positive, us to the positive place. Yeah, I actually I thought the the calendar one was kind of interesting. That, that okay, that's that, that makes it sense. Was, it was quick. It was like it was an actual transition. It was talking about um, you know scheduling this thing on Saturday. They're talking about circling uh, the date on the calendar, and it's just a very quick. The lines come in to form a calendar. And then it just kind of breaks apart, and we're in the next scene. Yeah. Nice, simple, easy, there we are. Totally agree. That was a fine transition. That's mm-hmm. If all the transitions kept it within those bounds, I wouldn't have a problem. Because they'd been talking about calendars. Yeah. And the one that... The one that did it, and you mentioned this earlier. Do you want to talk about... I talked about the last one. Do you want, do you want to explain this one? I don't know which one you're referring to. Oh, the milk. The milk. <laughs> you know, the milk one was... I don't know. It, it didn't... It was bizarre. Yes, it was most certainly that. But it didn't. It didn't bother me. In a way, I mean, it was. I didn't understand it. Uh, I feel <laughs> like it challenges my beliefs. Uh, but at least it was not on the nose, and it it wasn't apropos of anything. It was kind of like an, it was like um, it was kind of like Luis Buñuel directed that transition. Uh, it just kind of yeah. like ants started growing out of it at some point. It, uh, cow eye was sliced in half. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a man, a man is holding, uh, an umbrella over his head and the rain is coming out of the umbrella. There's an <laughs> apple obscuring his face. Uh, I'm totally just mixing surrealism in with, with your thing. I'm not on, I'm not on message at all. That's all right. This one to me, the milk transition where the scene that you're in, this is, we're transitioning back to the, back to Mike's, uh, 
Tavern. Yeah, Mike's Tavern, yeah. the bar that Tim has gone to and, and then returns to. <clears throat> the, the, the screen fades white, condenses inwards into sort of a drop formation, mm-hmm. flies into the next scene, lands in Ernest Borgnine's glass of milk, because he only drinks pint glasses of milk, not beer, and it What's goes... milk? Oh, oh, you're giving you're giving me crap because of how I pronounce milk. <laughs> no. Hey, everybody. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, uh, I'm uh, people give me crap about. I say I pronounce the 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 thing that comes out of cow's udders as milk. People give me crap for that all the time. Uh, some people say theater instead of theater. No one gives them shit for that. Some people say soda instead of pop. No one gives them shit. But no. Oh, I must bear the burden of language. <laughs> Maybe that's what people. Maybe that's what our accent is like in Oregon. How about that, Landon? Maybe you're a racist against the whitest state in America. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. What do you sleep on at night? I sleep on a pillow. Oh, well, you say those are the same letters: pillow and pillow. My mom says pillow. Your mom says pillow. Okay. Oh, so I see. You're kind of like it runs in your family too. Well, I little... give her shit. Oh, well. okay. Okay. <laughs> it's an equal shit giving. Uh... <laughs> language thing i've never said pillow people have challenged me on that same mm-hmm. thing i say pillow but for me i grew up saying milk and i could easily change it at this point i could so I, like you know what? That. i can respect that but no i would be a sellout if i did that <laughs> there's a director who made charlie's angels and also terminator salvation whose name is mick g yeah and when he was first getting big especially for terminator salvation everyone was saying oh mick g that's such a douchebag name oh you're so hollywood oh fuck you mick g and he gave some interview where he said, people have called me McGee since I was six years old growing up in Boston. So if I changed it now, I'd be more of a sellout. And I don't mm. like McGee's movies, but I really like his reasoning there. And, and, and so call me Milk G. <laughs> All right. We're back to uh, we're back to grunt work with my host, uh, Grunt G. Oh, God. <laughs> grunt G? Just because I'm from the Pacific Northwest, you can't tar me with that. Right? If we want to talk about the 90s. God. This- Let's transition back into this episode. The previous scene turns white, drops into Ernest Borgnine's glass of milk. There is an 80-yard bloop, and then something actually splashes out of the milk and onto the table, which then fades away. Oh, God, I, I missed that detail. Oh, no, go back and watch for it. It's there. Uh, it's Zapruder film stuff. Circle it, <laughs> zoom in tight, enhance. It's just, there was no reason for it. Yeah. There was no reason to do this. You could have just cut from one scene to the next. A nice little dissolve. Yeah. <laughs> one scene to another scene. A dissolve Tried instead of a true uh, method of editing. Yeah. You could even do the awful Star Wars transitions where everything is wiping one thing. In. That would be less obtrusive than this. Truman, let's, let's transition back into the plot of this episode because I feel like we've been talking Boop. about... <laughs> Sorry, the podcast the podcast just kind of turned into a gigantic ice cube and it dropped into Landon's glass of water and splashed out and we zoom closer in on the splash and then and then Tim and uh, Jill are in there doing the voices of some pigeons. I apologize. Let's transition back into the episode. Holy I cow. Agree. Um so I don't even know where to where to begin. So Jill they both Tim and Jill start to worry uh they start to question themselves like mm-hmm. Well, maybe I didn't tell them, or maybe I didn't listen properly. Because, as you said, uh, um, Ernest Borgnine and Jack Alam are, Ernest Borgnine in particular, is saying, well, you know, they're not, women are subtle. Uh, and I want to, this is where I want to kind of talk about the, <laughs> generational comes to mind, the generation divide between kind of, um, I guess what would be our grandparents, if we're assuming that uh, the Tim Taylor, Jim, Jill Taylor are, our parents' generation. Then they are. Yeah. That there's this different mentality that was very 
Well, I don't. I don't know. I that, 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 there's the, another ellipses there for you. The, the, them say, them saying stuff about dames and and broads yeah. and skirt and that sort of thing. Right. Was this like forgivable misogyny and racism? Not that this episode was racist, but you know that's kind of grouped into like, oh, they went through the war. They've earned the right to be racist, or they've earned the right to their views, whatever they might be. Yeah. Um, well, to the racism point, I will point out that about half of the patrons at uh, Mike's Tavern were black, as was the bartender. That's right. So, uh, but I wasn't saying home improvement was racist. No, no, I'm saying Jack Alam and uh, Ernest, Ernest Borgnine. But if they were racist, would they really drink at a bar where there's a black bartender and half the patrons are black? Yeah. It's not. Listen, we live in L.A. and it's not hard to find a bar full of entirely white people. So I think <laughs> that in the Midwest you could do the same. Yeah, that's true. I understand what you mean. Yeah. They and when I fir- when they first came on, I mean the way that they first get introduced to the show is loudly supporting the misogynistic stuff Tim is saying. Right. And then they say a bunch of stuff about how men and women are different. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, they make a lot of astute observations, but right. also Jack Elam. Mm-hmm. Jack Elam is saying, you know, Tim tells him that, "Oh, you know, Jill wants to wear a tuxedo to this opera thing. She's making me go." And Jack Elam is saying, "Oh, your wife's Telling you what you can do. She's wearing man's clothes. She's trying to confuse you and get into your skin. And I'm thinking, okay, these are bad old guys. They're the they're not right. But that's that's our kind of uh, modern generations look at the world is like, well, that's you know, this is where the <laughs> the patriarch you know kind of was bolstered. It was mm-hmm. like us thinking, oh, they're just old people and they're cute. They can have their ways. Where it's like, that's not okay. Yeah, but then. It's as though the shows, the, the the writers kind of change their mind on what kind of dudes these dudes are trying to be. Because then, in in talking to them, mm-hmm. I mean, at it, it, first they're giving Tim all this sort of retrograde advice, but then halfway through the conversation, they turn out to be really sweet and are saying like, "Well, women are more subtle and think about this and that." And well, they, Ernest Borgnine is. I don't think Jack Alam, because it's established that Ernest Borgnine was married and oh, his wife yeah, had died. Yeah, and Jack, Jack Alam has yeah. been a lifelong bachelor, and he's never, yeah. uh, and he's still a womanizer at the old folks' home, or maybe. Maybe he's gay, and he never talks about oh. who he's dancing with at the senior center. That's true. Maybe maybe people are, are into that, that he crazy like eye. He like women in uh, tuxedos because it touches too closely to his uh, his biggest, darkest secret. Every woman wearing a tuxedo is a man who can't be wearing that tuxedo, <laughs> and, uh, and for him it's a sum-zero game. You know what? I support this theory. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, and you know what? There is a little bit of evidence because at the end of the episode, um, when Jim and Till, Jim and Till, Jim is and what Till, <laughs> Jim and Till went up the hill. <laughs> to... We're talking about uh, the Bizarro episode of uh, uh, Home Improvement here. <laughs> Toward the end of the episode, Tim and Jill arrive back at Mike's tavern, and uh, Jack and Ernest are there, and uh, Jack is like really smitten with Jill. And asks if he can dance with her. And then at a certain point, Tim goes into the background while they're dancing and says, may I cut in? And Jack it starts, starts dancing. dancing with Tim. And and I and we laughed. It was a funny little yeah. bit. But I'm saying that could be evidence. That could that could totally be it. He was, it, when when he's fussing over Jill and kissing her hand so much, because it's like, oh, the gentleman doth protesteth too much trying to cover his tracks. And then when Tim says, can I cut in? He's like, oh, screw it. This is my time. I'm old anyway. <laughs> And yeah. uh, it, was, it was kind of a sadder ending for uh, for him, for Hick. <laughs> oh, poor Hick. Um, but uh, honestly, though, no gay man would hike his pants up that far. No, even even at the twilight of his life, no. <laughs> that age in 1992, you don't even think there's a little bit of. Were were was it just fashionable for everyone to hike their pants up? Like, if I go back, will there be pictures of Bill Clinton like giving speeches with his pants all the way up to his chest? <laughs> uh, 
No, because he wasn't uh, in his 80s. He wasn't in the twilight of his life back uh, then. Yeah, fair. So now his pants are hiked all the way up to his Well, n- now I think fashion for old people has changed. We'll never... This is a paradox. We'll never have the answer. No, it's a... But I will say that Ernest Borgnine, in the very first scene on Tool Time, was wearing the exact thing my grandfather wore almost every day of his life. He had this, like, nylon zip-up yeah. jacket with uh, the slacks and the, the comfortable shoes. Um because you you get you get to that age you get to grandfatherly age it's like w- w- fuck you world why am yeah. I going to wear what you want me to wear I'm <laughs> going to wear what I want to wear and I'm going to wear it all day you know I so look forward to that day just like George Costanza where I can just wear velvet all day long <laughs> the velvet fog <laughs> so Tim has a pretty con- what turns to be a con- pretty constructive talk with the guys mm. at Mike's tavern he does not eat a stinky or maybe he does but. Then we cut back home where Jill goes out in the backyard and has a conversation with Wilson. We were well, just... that's being generous. She has a conversation with herself while Wilson's there. Yes, but Wilson, we do get the moment of Wilson taking off his hat and tipping it to her over the fence and saying, Heidi ho, lady neighbor. <laughs> Which I like. Yeah, I like and that a lot. Jill... Um, does something that I feel like Tim has never thought to do, which is to stand on the little uh, little box that's next to their window to see over the fence. Yes, although that might be because Jill is shorter than Tim and can't even get to eye level at the fence. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, either way, may, she might be the only one who has truly looked on the face of, of Wilson. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but so they have a they have a talk out back, mm-hmm. and yeah, she pretty much reasons through with Wilson that, oh crap, I was the one who was right. wrong. Here's the thing. I liked this, just this element, mm-hmm. that Tim and Jill both think they're right, they go off and have separate, con- like, that that Jill talks to someone who she really doesn't talk to that much, we don't see her talk to that much, and realizes that she was wrong, mm-hmm. and that Tim goes and talks to some other people, some guest stars, and realizes that he was wrong. I, I, I thought that the ultimate message of the episode, that men and women communicate in different ways, and these miscommunications are what lead to so much... I, that was all good. Just the episode around it was not constructed in a good enough way to support this good idea. Yeah. Well, luckily, I think it's a broad enough idea that it will be readdressed many, many times. You think so? They're going to retire this plot line? <laughs> um, but I, I totally agree with you. Where it, it, Even to the point where it the way that it ties up with both of them coming to this realization that you know they both need to communicate on each other's level a little bit better... They come into this scene in the kitchen together and say, they both start the sentence, you know, oh, I got to tell you something. Um, and Tim goes first, says his thing, and then he goes, okay, you know, he's like, I, I should listen to you more when I, you know, I check mm-hmm. out when something doesn't interest me, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'll make better, make a better effort. What did you want to say? <laughs> and Jill is like, ah, nothing. <laughs> I wasn't, I couldn't get a read on that. That felt like such a weird I couldn't. I couldn't get what the writers were were trying to like emphasize with the message in that moment. The the what I think what the the thing that the writers are trying to say there. What, what I took from it is Tim is the Tim is most is the most often wrong on the show. Sure. He is the one who is most often making mistakes and behaving in a boorish way. Jill's big evolution. Jill's big moment in the episode is when she realizes. Oh, I've been after Tim this whole time, but I didn't communicate. Well, I didn't sit right down and tell him we were doing it. Oh crap, I shouldn't do that. We know that Jill is smart enough and responsible enough that she's going to internalize that and go yeah. forward. Okay. Whereas Tim has been Tim has just been more aggressive in their fighting, more insulting. So Tim really needs to humble himself by saying he's yeah. sorry. Whereas Jill we we as the audience don't gain as much from watching Jill apologize to Tim as we get from watching Tim apologize to Jill. I can we, understand that, yeah. And also it's just more Jill to be like 
yeah, yeah, Jill puts up with so much from Tim mm-hmm. in this case where she, in this one time where she's wrong. She's like, no, I'll take the win when I can get it. I won't yeah. humble myself That's if fair. I don't have to. Yeah, I've yeah, learned I, my lesson. Tim doesn't have to know I've learned. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Okay, well, that, that solves that, that. Yeah, so aren't you glad you asked me? <laughs> I did. I am very glad. So um, seldom is there, a, is there a clear answer to these questions. <laughs> so, okay, I do want to touch on some stuff with Wilson. Yeah. Uh, some stuff in this episode really brought to my attention things about Wilson. Uh-oh. We're introduced in his first scene. Uh, he's playing croquet. Yes. And he says, nothing relaxes me more than playing croquet. In this particular instance, it's playing croquet. Yeah. But that's a phrase that he uses in a lot of episodes. My question to you is, what the hell is Wilson so stressed out about that he needs to relax every day of his life? He's retired. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can go. The lazy answer is to say, well, he's God. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. If we take that, if we take that out of the equation and just assume that Wilson is a man. On its own volition, what is he stressed about? Maybe Wilson is retired military and mm. he was in the Green Berets or something. Like he was all over Vietnam. He was all over Desert Storm. They called him back in for Desert Storm. And just like we found out last episode, he did have an old, uh, uh, yeah. uh, was it Navy? Yeah, Navy buddy. Navy who, buddy who went missing went in, in Borneo. Yeah. yeah. And I, if I knew where Borneo was, I could probably tie that to some war. <laughs> uh, but Wilson, so I think that Wilson Borneo. had said, <laughs> nope. No, yep. That wasn't worth it. Yep. That no, wasn't worth I'm the interruption. Keeping, I'm keeping it in the podcast. I'm making the volume louder on that one so everyone knows you're infected with my illness. Well, then at least let me own it. Warneo. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Get some of those, like, uh, disco club. Disco club? Are those still D- disco club? Disco club? That's, that's the, that's the uh, sequined, uh, <laughs> studded, mirrored club that you beat someone with. <laughs> that's, uh, the, that's the point in Boogie Nights when it turns real dark. I think, yeah, I think that Wilson used to be, either he used to be in the military or mm-hmm. he was like Kingsman, the Secret Service, one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, well, this is, this is a kind of an interesting thought, is like, what what did he do before he retired? It, well, it must have mm-hmm. been stressful enough that he had to spend the rest of his life blowing off steam in his backyard. <laughs> May I mean, a securities trader? Hell, maybe maybe Wilson is is actually Ronald Reagan, and he's just, just winding down oh. after eight years of being president. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I guess H.W. was was still in office at, at this point. Yeah. Uh, maybe, or I don't know, Henry Kissinger maybe, living in disguise as Wilson. I'm trying to think of, what, what are the most high-pressure jobs? <laughs> what? Hitler. Hitler, yeah. Would he still have been alive if he survived? Let's see, 40? I mean, so, I, uh, probably not. It would have been another 50 years. I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's conspiracy theories that say Hitler is still alive now. Also, he was into the occult. But and, you know what? I don't want to draw the comparisons between is Wilson God and is Wilson Hitler. You know, Wilson could just be everything. Maybe the world is made out of concentrated <laughs> Wilson. Every person on the planet is Wilson. It's like oh. it's like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, how, how, uh, how main God guy's dad is a planet peter quill yeah peter quill thank you ego the living planet yeah yeah so maybe maybe wilson is that same kind of deal okay guardians of the galaxy 3 is a home improvement tie-in so you're saying by series uh season eight we're gonna see wilson turn into some weird gillette uh shaving cream and take over all of new york city more or less that yeah (laughs) also uh a totally unrelated sidebar. Do you think if the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise goes on, well, and it will go on for quite some time, do you think at some point the audiences will change enough that they're going to have to shift to 90s nostalgia because there won't be enough people who have oh, fond memories sure. of 80s pop culture? Oh, yeah. 
So it's at some point the whatever actor is playing Peter Quill is going to be walking around grunting and talking <laughs> about home improvement. Oh my god. Um well we're going to be we have to fight as hard as this valiant warrior from from Earth times <laughs> called Tim the Toolman Taylor. His mom gives him a uh the mix the mixtape that has like uh you can't touch this and ice ice baby. <laughs> Peter Quill's doing like the hammer dance on his ship, and and I don't know, like Rocket or, or Groot gets really into into grunge. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be it'd be Groot. I am grunge. <laughs> Life is a highway. <laughs> oh God. Oh man. When we get to that point, I'm just not that. By the time by the time that song is being played for nostalgia purposes in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, we are going to have our pants hiked up over our heads. We're going to be sitting in the front row on some show heckling people about cyborgs or whatever is at issue in, in that time. Oh, my God. We have derailed here. But let's get back to Wilson for a second. Yes. Um, so Jill kind of talks herself through the scene and uh, walks off without ever getting advice from Wilson and Wilson just ends the scene by saying somehow it's always easier with Jill transition into milk into a glass. That's the, yeah, that's the um, one. But then the interesting part is the callback to Wilson at the <sighs> end of this episode. Yeah. I'm glad I, you reminded me of this because it, well, I have to, because it plays into the God theory. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we were back at big Mike's tavern. Tim and Jill have rearrived. And uh, they've got they've gone to the opera. They've gone to the opera fundraiser. Left halfway through, then to go to the dive bar, right, uh, to re- meet up with Hick and Eddie. And uh, as as the scene kind of um, comes to a sweet conclusion, and they're dancing to Nat King Cole, Tim is kind of um, broken into dance with his wife. Yeah, Jill. Ernest Borgnine has said a whole raft of sweet things about marriage and loving your wife. Yeah, um, we get we cut to a close up of a patron in the back of the bar who has been reading a newspaper the entire time and he just lets it down just a couple inches and we see the eyes of Mr. Wilson uh and he puts it back up and he, but he gives us kind of like approving look like everything worked out according to my plan which here's my here's my theory a oh, good we need a theory because i don't understand yeah. this moment okay this is my this is why i think it's the god theory that he sent hick and eddie as guardian angels onto the set of tool time to, you know, kind of, uh, it's a wonderful lifestyle guide these two. Cause maybe in, in the alternate universe of this, Tim and Jill fight so bad that they, they get a divorce. They break up. Ooh. Something disastrous happens. And Wilson realizes I got to intervene here. I got it. This, this for all of time and space to continue to work, <laughs> As it should, I need to make sure that these two people stay together. Thus, the guardian angels. I work in mysterious ways. So he's kind of Clarence, and it's a wonderful life. Yeah, uh, te- exactly. Teacher well, says he, every he's time he's not Clarence. Jack and uh, Ernest are Clarence. Oh, Wilson is God, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so teacher says every time Tim hurts himself, an angel gets its grunts. <laughs> exactly. An angel gets its trucker cap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I did okay that. That makes sense from the God standpoint. From the Wilson is a man standpoint, <laughs> wh- so was Wilson in the bar earlier? Is Wilson a patron? Had Wilson mm-hmm. overheard Tim talking to the guys at an earlier point? What, also, in the final establishing shot, the wide shot of the bar as we as we go out, mm-hmm. we don't see where Wilson is it, like in relation to everything yeah, else. 
We no, do. He's he's way in the back and holding up a newspaper. Is he wearing he blends ca- into the. He's wearing camouflage. <laughs> the newspaper uh, blends him in. It, it almost makes him look like a bulletin board. Okay, maybe that that's what I was seeing. I just I don't know why the writers felt that it was necessary to have Wilson be in this bar. Very perplexing. Wilson, who said that he doesn't go out in public. Yeah. My only guess, if you want a, a real practical theory, is that there was something in Earl Hinman's contract that he's going to be in two scenes in every episode because tip- typically we'd get two scenes of him. That would make sense, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, then good on the creators for uh, holding up their end of the bargain with Earl Hinman. God rest <laughs> his soul. Him and Ernest Borgnine just chilling in heaven, talking about and Jack Alam. and Jack Alam. Yeah, uh, Jack- and Sir Larry and Sir. Oh yeah, man. Everybody, huh? <laughs> we all die at some point, German. <sighs> on that note, well, <laughs> actually, I do want to take one more second here to touch on the story that uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine tells to Tim, yeah, uh, about marriage and the sweetness of marriage. Yeah, actually, this is a good. Yeah, we should talk about this. Do you have something? Because I've got a pretty well. Tell, tell me your thing about it. I okay, just have, so... I take issue with one of the things that he said. That's all. <laughs> okay, so Ernest Borgnine's talking about his his wife and uh, how. You know, he loved her so much, but she drove him nuts. And the reason, one of the things that she did that drove him nuts was she had these little cat porcelain figurines that she would set out on the windowsill every day. And every single day, he would take them off the windowsill and put them, uh, what was it, in a drawer, in a box, or in something. a cupboard, yeah, in, in the a back cupboard. of a cupboard. And that the next day, she would get them back out and set them back up. And he would get annoyed and take them down and put them in the cupboard. I can't remember the point that he was making with that story. But uh, I, I don't even think there was one. Yeah, <laughs> there's um, this. My grandparents did the same thing. My grandfather was a painter, is a painter. He's still alive. He's going to be 104 soon. Good Lord. I know. I just want to point that out because good on him. Yeah, good for him. Um, Seriously, that's amazing. Yeah. But, so he was a painter and liked to hang up his own artwork. And, you know, I thoroughly think he's a pretty good painter. Um, <clears throat> my grandmother had really specific taste. <laughs> in things like she she loved refrigerator magnets <laughs> and um what do you what do you call those things that you uh uh you move and the picture moves with you or like a hologram it's not a hologram like... but there's a, a very specific term for it but like you know you kind of move it and it shifts as yeah, you move yeah it i know along. what you mean yeah it was on like uh, uh rulers as uh you know yeah yeah i know i called them holograms at the time i don't know what they <laughs> actually are um Anyhow, she had one of those of a, a poodle on the wall. They never yeah. had an animal. So uh, anyhow, <clears throat> there's a painting here that I'm pointing at in my apartment no. uh, that is kind of hideous. But the reason I picked it, it's to I'll, I'll, I'll post this online so people can see it. But just to give you a brief description is these two people walking through a field of sunflowers. Uh, it's half oil, half magic marker i think <laughs> i mean it's a really just kind of hideous it's got an orange frame everything about it screams tacky she loved this painting so much and she found it at a garage sale hung it on the wall my grandfather hated it <laughs> he would take it off the wall and put one of his own paintings up yeah and she would come back and put this painting on the wall just like this story and i found it in their basement one year and asked them about it. She told me this story, and I'm like, I I love, <laughs> I love this painting purely because of this story. Um, and now I keep it and have it on my wall. I I you know I have been coming into this apartment and looking at that picture for years and kind of wondering, but never judging. And that's beautiful that you took this kind of this this trophy, this battlefield from your grandparents' relationship, and hung <laughs> it in your home. Yeah. Well, uh, to to balance the scales, I do have a painting of my grandfather's. Uh, 
on my wall as well. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, should I take that down and, and take it with me when I leave <laughs> just to continue the tradition? <laughs> uh, I would kind of love that, but don't do that. Yeah, yeah. It looks heavy. <laughs> Uh, what did you have to say about uh, the story that he tells? Uh, just the only thing. Well, I, it, it's a little harder now that you've told this heartfelt story about your grandparents doing the same thing. I was just thinking, like, wow, man, maybe, maybe notice that your wife likes these things and don't be a dick. Maybe just <laughs> let her have her figurines. What's it hurting you, dude? Forty-five years every yeah. day. He puts them away. She puts them back up. I, wh- what's wrong with you? Just, just it's just some figurines. I'm particular about my my surroundings as well yeah. but if it matters to someone i maybe he he had some sort of traumatic thing in the war where he saw his uh his buddy you know his platoon partner get his head blown off and a white cat walk next to it and so every time he sees these porcelain figurines he is taken back to that that moment or, or maybe the war that they were fighting was against cats <laughs> uh we're also just presuming that they were in the war i guess not every old person <laughs> Was in World War Two. Yeah, but I mean, these guys. Well, I, I you know, maybe, maybe with the crazy eye, it was a little hard to shoot Germans. <laughs> but Borgnine, I could see him doing it. Yeah, I mean, he was in the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, and in uh, the Wild Bunch. Yeah, um, Wild he, Bunch wasn't a war movie though. But well, whatever. yeah, kind of. I mean, it's about there's soldiers in it, so that that doesn't make it a war movie. <laughs> This is this is apropos of nothing, but I don't know when I'm going to get yeah. another chance to talk about Ernest Borgnine with a microphone in front of me. <laughs> That's very true. I really would have liked it if he had guest starred on an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Why is this Ernest Borgnine? Oh, get out of my apartment! Oh, all right, folks. <laughs> end of the episode. End of the show. That's all I have about this episode. That's all I have in life. Oh man. The show notes for today's episode will be posted on our website uh, at gruntworkpodcast.com. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it wherever you can because it really helps other people find us. Other people's find us, is what I said. Uh, And remember that every time you share us, we won't hold you down and force feed you a stinky. (laughs) Good lord. If you don't know that a stinky is a sandwich, it sounds... Real nasty. Yeah, but we did. I, we explained that at some point. No, no, I made yeah, a point okay. of doing it because I wanted that joke to work, and it worked so well. I People hear, are laughing. Oh, we got we got to pause for the laughter. <laughs> it's like it's like when Kramer bursts through the door, and they have to like write a big gap in because people are applauding <laughs> so wildly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people people are shooting milk out their noses right now, having heard that every heard that oh, hit. God. <laughs> On our website, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter uh, in which you can get notifications about new episodes and um, exclusive content. Uh, We've been posting a lot of the show notes there, the grunt count, uh, some trivia. Uh, You can also follow us on all the social media places at GruntWorkPod. And with that... Well, Landon, do you know what time it is? It's time to bust out the tux. We're going to the opera. Oh!